0: I went through my own hell and mine. Uh, We all have our story, but it's not the story and it's not what happens. It's what do you do with what happened?
1: That's world-renowned New York-based harpist and actor Rita Costanzi. She'll be joining you at the Phoenix Harp Center this November 4th for her latest workshop and recital. We sat down to talk about her brand new album with oboist Alex Klein and her journey to her one-woman show. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to a new episode of Heart of the Arts. So were you born and raised in New York because your name just sounds like a New Yorker.
0: I was born upstate New York. I was born in Rochester, New York. And my father was a distinguished professor of viola Mm. at the Eastman School of Music, which is there. Mm. And um, my reason for being in New York now was the now ex-husband had come back to play on Broadway. We were living in Vancouver. Okay. And so that brought me to New York and to, the marriage brought me to New York in 2007. Wow. And I've been here ever since. Yeah. So
1: um, being a harpist in New York, what's that like? Because that's a huge instrument.
0: Well, uh, my circumstances are unusual, Melissa. Mm-hmm. I I am here in New York. And it's interesting that I'm not performing all that much here in New York because I'm not doing freelance things like uh, Broadway shows or ballets and things like that. Mm. But I've had an international career. And so now finally my other life as a theater artist is taking shape and that's why I'm here in New York, I believe is next year I will open an off-off-Broadway-run 12 shows of my theater piece, Woman on a Ledge.
1: Woman on a Ledge? That's so cool. i <laughs> definitely dabbled into acting. And what is your one-woman show about? That's fascinating. The one-woman show
0: is the story of my life and the conflicts that a woman faces as an artist, a wife, mother and how she is so conflicted and pulled apart in all these different directions and um it was the script was written by Hershey Felder who's a well-known pianist actor producer writer who does one man shows composer shows he you know he becomes the personality of Beethoven or Liszt or Irving Berlin and um He felt that the script I was doing did not maximize my potential as a harpist and as an actor. And he said, I want to write something for you that will really fully express who you are. And uh, I, I waited a long time for that script. And I've been working on it since it arrived in 2018. And I did the premiere. Uh, in 2021 at the Sunflower Festival in Topeka, Kansas. Okay. And everywhere I've done it, it's it's been very well received. It's a universal story. Women have wept, men have been very deeply moved. And I really feel this is my, one half of my artistic calling now is to stand on stage in emotional authenticity and
1: finally tell this story. Wow. That's so inspiring because I think every woman can relate. In fact, I was just visiting a friend in Boston on Labor Day and he was away from me for like five minutes. And then I, you know, people kind of people are just aggressive. They shout at you and he's like, I left you alone for five minutes. I'm like, welcome to my life that kind of stuff happens, like just the stuff that everyone, I feel like experiences, but do you have any like tidbits or specific things that were a struggle for you? I feel like hearing someone's story and telling storytelling is so, it's still so important because people just want to relate. They just want to feel like, and it's just, um, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah. Yes. So I was that
0: typical old-fashioned Italian woman uh who had a very strong father who I adored. You know, he was this famous musician. It was a lot to live up to, people always at Eastman. Oh, there's, you know, Francis Jersey's daughter. And uh there was that pressure and then a kind of type A Italian stallion husband. Mm and and it was always about uh pleasing giving my power away and pleasing for love mm-hmm. you know i would do anything for that recognition for love to be accepted yeah. and after my divorce and when i separated in 2013 this has been a 10 year journey melissa of just uh becoming this this new person this new woman who is strong who yes now to answer your first question who moves her harp in new york who finds parking places in manhattan which is impossible and when there's nobody around to help who who schleps the harp and loads it in the station wagon and pulls up you know drives in rush hour traffic to get to a, a rehearsal that's That's, you know, near this huge stadium that's, (laughs) it's just, I've, I've just about experienced everything you could experience. And, and now I don't have the car anymore. So I am exploring life with Uber and with rental and it's all good. It all works, but adversity initiates us into greatness. And there have been times I've said to God, you know, how strong do you want me to be? And the answer comes back stronger, stronger. Uh-huh. And here I am. Here I am. And it's taken 10 years for me now to really feel fully that I am my own authority, mm-hmm. that there's no more codepending, mm-hmm. that I can stand on stage and my voice will be like thunder and my audience will will tremble. Yes.
1: That's so amazing and incredibly vulnerable. I come from an alcoholic home, so I know all about dependency and, yes. <laughs> and people pleasing, I guess, was my Achilles heel. I also heard, because I went through something difficult recently, and I know that sometimes it's just, obviously, you know how to deal with things better. You've kind of evolved, hopefully. It's like going on stage, like there's always some nervousness and you just kind of learn to deal with that. But does it ever get easier dealing with really tough moments like that, some people say it really doesn't get easier. You just know how- the to... Very,
0: very interesting question, because I recently learned that vulnerability means uh, to see through. And so many women in Kansas at the premiere, they even wrote me letters and wrote me their life stories and said, thank you for being willing to be vulnerable. I mean, they wept. They just mm-hmm. wept and told me, you know, it was a catharsis for them, which is what true theater, I think- should be and I suffered you know with that pressure of having the famous father in music I suffered terribly to walk out on stage I think the child Rita felt if she made a mistake she would be desecrating the famous father's name and if you I think if you don't have an element of nervousness it means either you don't care or somehow that vulnerability won't be there Mm-hmm. So yes I will, will always be nervous but in my older age now I've learned how to uh I've strengthened through a meditative practice for instance and through all these years of of wisdom now building wisdom that I can walk out on stage and be centered and be whole and give my art yet through that window of vulnerability
1: very cool it was kansas kansas city recently or you did it in kansas excuse me
0: yes well every june i go to the sunflower festival in topeka kansas which has been going on for over 20 years a beautiful classical music festival and the artistic director Charles Stegman, in it was supposed to be two thousand twenty, but was delayed because of the pandemic. He wanted to create this year for the woman to celebrate woman's one hundredth anniversary of woman's right to vote. Yes. And he said, Rita, I want your story. I want you to do a theater piece for this. this is going to be something new. We're not going to just wow. be classical music. We're going to feature your theater piece. So that was the official premiere. And it was funded uh, by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, which was so wonderful to get that kind of recognition. That's huge. And so I really feel that this is one half of my dharma now, my true calling, the other half traveling to places, as I'm doing, coming to Phoenix soon to play a recital, to give a class or a workshop, and uh, hopefully work with some young people and...
1: Yeah. Give about- them the
0: power of transformation that I have now experienced.
1: So in the masterclass, my, um, I've messed around with one cause I went to music school, but I feel like it's difficult. I, you know, when you approach it, is it always common for the harps to have the different colored strings? Yes, yes.
0: Okay. The strings are, you know, if you picture a piano keyboard with black notes and white notes, keys, black keys and white keys on the harp, we have red strings, blue strings and white strings and the red are C and the blue are F. And as a colleague once said, the rest are up for grabs, <laughs> but that's how we, that's how we find our way around. And then we have on the concert harp, seven pedals, each with three positions, flat, natural, and sharp. So we can be playing all the correct strings, but if the pedals aren't in the right positions, it won't sound correct. So it's a lot to keep track of.
1: It almost kind of sounds like a percussionist, kind of like having this going on and this. And I know pianists and organists and pedals, but is it a difficult instrument to master? Because coming from classical guitar as my background, and again, just trying it out, they seem like the hardest instruments to master. And I don't really know what the journey is through harp.
0: I don't know. My colleagues who play other instruments would insist their instrument is the most difficult. I think we all face challenges in, in executing in the technique. Um, All my notes are fixed. And if I have properly tuned it, I'm good to go. Whereas a violinist has to each time find the correct pitch. And so I think every instrument presents its own challenges. The, the challenge for the harp, as I've just said, are these pedals being in the correct positions. And a kind mathematician once told me that it was exponential three to the seventh and it's 2,187 combinations with my feet. And I tell audiences I didn't practice for a long time after that, it was just so overwhelming. But when I do the theater piece, I am adding a whole nother element. And that is I am reciting portions of my script, from memory while playing. Okay, yeah, I am yeah, yeah. underscoring the words. And so it takes weeks and months of practice because if I get the, the, the fingers right and I get the feet right, I'll screw up the words or, you know, I get the words oh, yeah. right and then the pedals are wrong. So it's really, really devotion. It's hours of practice.
1: Yes. That is something to master. Cause again, thinking about, I love prog rock and lead guitarists like Jeff Beck is amazing, but he doesn't sing. And when you hear someone that's in this great band or even Willie Nelson doing a little riff, like they don't do that while they're singing the lyrics, they're just strumming because I've, yes. I've rehearsed that stuff too. And I'm like, Wow, this is this is a this is a talent. This is a acrobatic thing. When <laughs> you can get it, it's really fun. So, and it's I, mu- it's multitasking. And my
0: former director just shook his head. You know, I'd get so frustrated. And he said, "How many people do you know can do this?" And I'm like, I, don't know. I don't know. And he says, "Nobody. Do it again."
1: Oh, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, yeah. And that brought me back to what I was going to bring up earlier making classical music more accessible and relatable. You know, not everybody used to go sit quietly in a theater and not really have a, I don't know, a reaction, whether it be a movement. And uh, cellist Sewell Bailey does, he talks to the audience and we took us through this journey through all of Bach's cello suites. And I was just like, it would be great too if we could kind of just walk around the stage. And so I think that this medium that you're creating and it's i'm sure it exists out there in other ways but it just seems like it's a really brilliant way to bring that into i I guess into the what would i say just the more
0: more of the mainstream melissa it's a very astute comment of yours and i thank you for it because when i was growing up at eastman a colleague told my father you know francis Your daughter is so gifted. What a shame she plays the harp. Now, if she played piano or violin, we could do something with her, but her talent is being wasted on that instrument. Then as a freshman at Eastman, the then concert manager gave me my first job out of town and said, and dear, don't play solo. Please play with flute or violin or cello. Nobody wants to hear the harp played alone. It's boring. God had already planted the seed in my heart that I was going to be a classical harp soloist and I was devastated. So I've spent my entire career proving that solo harp does not have to be boring, proving that it can be uh, a true musical instrument. Why one harp concerto every 15 years and the same Brahms violin concerto every, I mean, these are my, so when I, People in New York love theater. We can't get very many people to a classical harp concert. We just can't anymore. The numbers are out there. Classical music is diminishing, all of this. But people will come to theater. And I had a guy come up after my former theater piece that I was doing when I first moved here. And he says, I got to tell you something. I hate the harp. I really don't like it. But after hearing you play, it makes me want to go to a harp recital. And I went, yes, okay. So I get them in the door because it's a theater piece, but they hear some of the most beautiful music ever written. Hershey has done a brilliant job with this script. And maybe it will help my colleagues and lead people to classical harp concerts.
1: Yes. And so what is part of your professional trajectory, what you teach in your masterclass coming up this this weekend? Well, because there
0: was a short lead time, it's actually officially not a masterclass. No students are going to play for me. They're calling it a workshop. Oh, okay. And I'm very grateful to Stephen Hartman, who is the uh, head of the Phoenix Harp Center, and he's hosting this for me. So it'll be a short classical recital and then a workshop where I will speak. And I will, yes, speak about several of the things we are talking about. The title of the workshop is Being Unlimited. I've been studying a lot now the quantum work of Dr. Joe Dispenza and about what it is to not be limited by defeating thoughts such as, don't play the harp alone in public, it's boring, and things like this. And I will really be branching out in this workshop and speaking of my history and my life story and what I have come to now uh, as I age and stand in this this important moment of my life. So I'm I'm very excited and very grateful to Stephen for, for hosting this. He's got... An incredible center there where they have harp sales and monthly rentals and technical service and he gives private lessons so it's a wonderful resource center for Phoenix and the um, outlying area.
1: Wow. Well they're going to learn, you know, a great life lesson sitting in master classes. And I feel like that's kind of always what happens, you know, whether you get to play or you're just observing your peers working with a professional. Yes, yes. it's always just it's all osmosis and you yes. take what parts you're going to take from it. It's kind of how I tonight for instance I teach kinder music after school and it's Halloween. So I'm dressing up as a, I'm just going to be my own random rock star from London, but we're going to create our own rock stars. But like (laughs) you were saying, like you were saying, you want to teach students. And I think through the magic of music, because it is magic. It's the most magical thing that I know of. And it really, when a student can gain confidence, or just a, a a knowledge that, hey, I'm creative. I think that really adds a lot to how they're shaped.
0: Yes, I, I try to open the side windows for my students and let light in from a new direction. I always tell them in Brazil, for instance, when I teach at the festival down there after two weeks, they will fit through the door because they will be so transformed and their thinking will have broadened but i believe there are no impossible dreams there is only a limited perception of what is possible so that's this limited perception we have to change we have to be willing to um allow for something quite new and quantum to to move forward
1: with magnificence
0: and with miracles
1: Yes. Joe Dispenza talks about your beliefs are just thoughts. You've thought over and over for a long exactly. time. So you can change your beliefs and change your reality. And
0: Exactly.
1: That's And not- Marianne
0: Williamson speaks about a miracle as being a shift in perception. And I love that. Oh, I really love right. that. Because if you're only looking here, you don't see possibility left or right. You're just centered on the focused on straight ahead. And often it's the left and the right, the bigger picture that
1: can change your life. Yeah, when something knocks you on the ground and you do a 180, you know, then you're like, oh, wait a minute, I used to see it that way and I see it the other way. It it does, it feels like a blessing. Like I want everyone to like get flipped upside down and have that experience (laughs) because it's really fascinating. Exactly, yeah. So what was the genesis for your latest album with oboist Alex Klein?
0: Yes, I met Alex Klein at a Canadian festival in the Northwest in around 2005. And my father used to say, Melissa, that you could count on one hand the number of times in a lifetime that you will have a chamber music experience that's truly elevated and truly, you know, that that there's such a profound resonance and when Alex heard me play and I heard Alex play, that was step one. And then when we played together, there was something so unique, so special, so extraordinary, so out of the ordinary. And since 2007, I would go every year to teach. I spearheaded a harp program for him down in Jaraguá do Sul where he. Uh, initiated his Femosque Festival, which is the largest classical music festival in Latin America. And harp in Brazil, they were underprivileged and there was a high import tax and he rolled up his sleeves and said, we're we're really going to attack this. And uh, we got a local billionaire to donate the money and 16 pedal harps were purchased from Lining and Healy in Chicago and brought down for my use to now you know, recruit and get get the kids working. And so Alex and I would play every year together at the festival. And two years ago, he said to me, Rita, I want to record with you. Uh (laughs) He he wasn't in a financial position to record and I wasn't in a financial position to record, but this was step one of my emergence after divorce, after doing all the inner work, I said, we're doing it. I signed on the dotted line, I borrowed the money, and our Amoroso was born. And I did it as a gift of love and gratitude to Alex. I didn't foresee that the world was going to love it so much that we've had over a million streams. I was just so, so amazed and touched. But it's, I think, post-COVID, it's music that is romantic and beautiful and simple and go straight to the heart. And what I'm seeing with this is possibly it's what the world really wants right now. So I'm grateful to fill that need.
1: Oh, that is so beautiful, Rita. I love that. <laughs> it's true though. And again, with like adding classical music to your story is so brilliant because every time I interview a local like vocalist or choir here in Phoenix, it's all about creating an environment because they'll have open rehearsals and stuff. And that's really fun. It seems like everyone is looking for connection more and more, and they have right. a more open mind to, you know, the um, metaphysical world that you speak of. And, yes. and just like, wait a minute, our minds are so powerful. And
0: Dostoevsky wrote that beauty will save the world. And another philosopher wrote that beauty is born of pain and suffering, and I need to bring this in because I do feel both Alex and I in our personal biographies have faced tremendous adversity. Mm-hmm. He suffered vocal dystonia. He has gone through hell in his life. I went through my own hell and mine. Uh, we all have our story, but it's not the story and it's not what happens. It's what do you do with what happened? How Do you spring back? Do you come back up and do you use that as compost and as something to for your life in creation? And in, in June, I was blessed to perform in Krakow, Poland and gave a recital and after this woman came up with tears streaming down her face and she embraced me and she looked at me and said, I am from Ukraine. Thank you. And this was a defining moment of my career because all my suffering, all my hardship, all my study and devotion and all my setbacks and challenges and delays and being told I wasn't good enough and all of this, this was the moment. And all I could do was give thanks that I hadn't quit to have this meeting with this. What has she faced in her life as a Ukrainian refugee in Krakow, Poland? I can only imagine my life, my problems pale in comparison, I am sure. And I just, she held me and I held her. And I said, thank you for this life in music. Thank you for this life in art. I am blessed and grateful and privileged.
1: That's harpist and actress Rita Costanzi. She'll be joining you this November 4th for her workshop and recital at the Phoenix Harp Center on 2700 North Central Avenue. Tickets are $10 for students, $15 for adults. And stay tuned to KBOC as we feature pieces from Amoroso, her latest album with oboist Alex Klein. I'm Melissa Green. Thanks for tuning in to Heart of the Arts.